Welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to have a conversation with Dr. Clay Mathis, who's the Department Head of Animal Science at Texas A&M University. Thanks for joining me today. Aaron, glad to be here. Thank you. Well, Dr. Mathis, I've been watching your role at the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management over the last 13 years. You recently took a different position or now department head of animal science there. I really wanted to just uh, take some time today to have you share some of the thoughts in terms of your experience as the director of the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. But before we dive into that, why don't you just tell us a little more about yourself, your background, and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Well, Aaron, I grew up in central Texas. My father was a veterinarian, and uh, so he had a mixed large animal, small animal practice. So we spent a lot of time on a lot of a lot of places in the Texas Hill Country. Um, went to school at Texas A&M and got a degree in animal science, was one of these kids that was on the judging team, several of them. After I finished my bachelor's, I got a master's degree in, in reproductive physiology and then went to Kansas State University and got a PhD in, in, with a focus on cow-calf nutrition. So getting out of grad school in the late 1990s, I took a job as an extension livestock specialist at New Mexico State University. And so worked there with producers across the Southwest and really just got to learn about the diversity of, of production systems and got to spend a lot of time on a lot of ranches. And, and during that time, although I was a nutritionist slash physiologist, spent a lot of time working on the spa program, which is dug into the financial aspects of these ranching operations. And that it just really was fascinating to me. I, it made me a better nutritionist, a better manager by digging into those financials on those different ranches. And and so there in uh, all the late uh, 2000s, um, position of director of the King Ranch Institute came open. It was closer to home for me. So I made the move to be director of the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management and started that in 2010. What a wonderful experience those 13 years were. You know, so the, the King Ranch Institute, it's, it's just laser focused on, on training managers for really complex ranching operations. And, and the way that program was created before my time was, you know, it's based on a systems approach. So really seeing the, the whole and instead of just the parts of a ranch, but particularly how all those parts of the ranch are interconnected. Um, and that was a foundation for training these graduate students that would come in to the two-year master's program. And the training model also was built upon a case studies approach where the graduate students essentially served as, as consultants to ranching operations as they did projects. And they learned during those projects and served the industry at the same time. And so it was this great mix of academia, management, real-world production, because Really, the recommendations those students made, they were real and people made decisions based on them. So it was just this experiential learning approach that um, yielded a lot of great managers. That's the, in a nutshell, what that King Ranch Institute program is. So, and then in October, I moved here to Texas A&M University to be the department head for animal science. So I went from a really laser focused master's program at the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management to a whole lot broader really large impact animal science department position here at Texas A&M University. So that's it kind of in a nutshell, Aaron. Yeah, let's circle back and just kind of talk about the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. Tell us a little more about why that program was initiated. What's the focus there for students who come through that program? What does that look like? Well, the the institute was created when 
When King Ranch turned 150 years old back in 2003, the family wanted to do something philanthropic and they saw that there was this need. The complexity of ranching was increasing. And so they recognized then that the skill set that it took for a manager to be successful in you know, the past 25 to 50 years was not the complete skill set that was going to be needed to manage these complex operations in the you know decades ahead. And so they felt like there was this gap, there was this void in training really high-level managers where it wasn't just having those really important boots on the ground knowledge of grass and water and, and livestock and wildlife, but also melding that with a, a really strong focus on, on leadership and business management. And so they got together with their friends and, um, and, and they endowed the King Ranch Institute back in 2003. And so that was a niche that they intended to create. And so I think over time, there's been over 50 graduates of the program since then. So I guess for folks who might be wondering, well, how does it work? You basically take on three students every year. So there's a total of six students in the program at any one time and an application process, uh, a pretty rigorous one, uh, looking for students who have the skills or at least the raw skills anyway that they want to develop to kind of move into be able to be some of these upper level managers. Well, you, you captured that very well. That's right. It, it, it was and the, the students that enter that program, they're generally late 20s um, to their 30s, some even in their into their 40s. So they've got to have a lot of experience. And with that experience, you know, those of us that are older know that there's just something you learn through experience that's a little bit humbling. And so once these students have that kind of experience, then they're really ready to build the skill set that it takes to, to get to that next level of management. So one of the things I've always found intriguing about your program, and you mentioned this as you talked about a systems approach to decision making, that's really what I'd like to go today in our conversation as you think about you're working with these students, you're working with ranches on projects for them, asking questions about how do we make these ranches really fulfill goals and desires for owners and, and do that in a sustainable way. Share with us some things you've learned over your time there. What are some observations, things that you think would be valuable for those who are in the ranching industry who, who want to be successful? What are some things that you think are take-homes from your time there? Sure. I think, you know, it starts with the recognition that no two ranches are alike. Every one of them has some unique things about it. Often it's those resources that support the ranch, but often it's it, it's the goals of ownership. So, you know, if you own the ranch, you get to set those goals. If you're a manager of the ranch, your job is to help ownership achieve its goals. And they may not look exactly like what you think the goals ought to be. And so as a manager, the, it starts with the recognition of what are the goals and then figuring out, okay, now how is the best way to, to achieve them? So that's one of them. I think another thing that has become crystal clear in my mind that in all ranching operations, it generally the number one challenge is, and you think about drought and political issues, but the number one challenge in managing these ranches has really pretty consistently been communication. It's how well the team members communicate so people know what's going on. Without good communication, people cannot make autonomous decisions very well. Without autonomous decision-making, pretty hard to maintain morale and tell people how to think. And so communication is key, particularly on these complex ranching operations. Uh, I think in addition to that, 
the power of having the the numbers, the financial numbers, the power that gives you in making sound decisions is so important. So I, I think if we, we think about systems thinking in, as a whole and trying to find leverage, which leverage would be a, a small change that makes a has a big impact. In my mind, probably the highest leverage decision is the decision to implement and maintain a managerial accounting system. And when somebody experiences the power of the information to be able to, to make good financial decisions based on what you've done historically and what you can estimate from future markets, it is so powerful. That knowledge is so powerful. And so that's one of the things I think has, has really been just galvanized in my mind to be important. I think when we talk about building particularly profitable production systems, that leverage is likely to be found in, in three places, uh, labor cost, feed cost, and depreciation, both depreciation of infrastructure and depreciation of, of livestock and equipment. But uh, those three expense categories make up well over 50% of total cost. And so since that's where the majority of the expenses come from, generally high leverage decisions influence one or more of those particular areas. Let's circle back and just, because I think you'd mentioned managerial accounting. And I think for some of those who are listening, they're going to ask, what, what is that? What is managerial accounting? How's that different from regular accounting? Maybe dive into that a little bit and just give some, some meat to that comment. Okay. So let's think of accounting the way we generally think about it. We go to a CPA. The CPA helps us to minimize our tax burden as much as possible. So that's tax account. And that's trying to operate a, a business within the rules established by the Internal Revenue Service so that you spend as little tax money on taxes as possible. That's kind of the approach that, that most CPAs would take. But that information in a ranching operation, that information is only part of the story. And so those are generally cash-based systems. So in a accrual-based system, which helps us look across calendar years or fiscal years, however we set that up, and lets us evaluate on a managerial level, a set of books that would that would uh, be, it's just much more informative. So you think about somebody that one year they sell all their calves weaning, and let's say the next year they retain all their calves at weaning so that the following year, they might sell two calf crops in one year. Well, on a tax basis, your account says, well, gosh, you sold two calf crops in one year. One year you made a tremendous amount of money. And the other year you hardly made any because you didn't sell a calf crop at all. Well, on a managerial accounting system, that would be spread across years because you're looking at it on a cruel basis. And so it gives you a much cleaner picture for which to make management decisions. And Aaron, um, you understand managerial accounting as well as anybody. You could expand on that too if there's some gaps that I left into that, trying to put that into a nutshell as well. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you did a really nice job. I think it's really thinking about how do I collect information from an economics and finance perspective? You know, obviously we've got, for most folks, they've got to turn in their accounting for tax purposes and also some accounting for banking purposes, especially if we're borrowing money. But for me, managerial accounting, as you well said, is how do I get information from an economics and financial perspective that helps me be effective in making decisions? And that, I think, is something that oftentimes in ranching, and, and I think it kind of circles back to what you talked about earlier in terms of the King Ranch recognizing we're in an era now where just being good at growing grass and caring for livestock is not going to be enough in terms of being effective as a ranch manager. 
not that those things aren't important because they are foundational and important, but really understanding the the economics, the finance, the accounting, the people part communication. It's really just things that we would see as any successful business. Only I think ranching from my perspective is even more complex. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with agree with that. And you know, it's interesting. I have yet to meet somebody that loves accounting and that's what they love to do. So they chose to be in accounting. So they chose to be a rancher. It's the other way around. It's secondary. The accounting is always secondary. It's a passion for land and wildlife and livestock drives us into this area. But it is so, so important if your interest is is uh, maintaining a level of profitability that uh, that you probably want. So as you think about students, they came through projects. Uh, you mentioned, you know, just the importance of communication, communication systems. As you interact with students, as they had these internships, as they worked with ranches really all across the United States, what are some things that you saw that successful ranches tend to do in in these areas that we've talked about? Hmm. Well, so I'm I'm scrolling through like this Rolodex of, of ranches right now as you ask that question. I think that the most successful ranches, one of the things we see is a is a commitment to their employees. I mean, it's just the awareness of the value of people on and the teams and the process. And so I think I think we see that. You know, I'll come back to the accounting side of things a little bit too. That recognition of the role of fixed cost versus variable cost and understanding it's a it's a fixed cost business generally and how we manage to spread those fixed costs out. And then, so we think about diversification and those types of of things. And so those are very different ends of the business management perspective. When I was talking about a commitment to people and then accounting and fixed costs, but those are, those are some pretty key, key factors. As you look at uh, from an operation standpoint, ranches that you see that, you know, maybe are there some common threads of these tend to be characteristics of ranch managers who who do things well, or maybe even, I guess, uh, looking and seeing opportunities, figuring out how to take advantage of those, or, or as you already said, finding points of leverage. How would you encourage someone to go about that or think about that as they think about their own ranch? I just kind of two questions. The first one was, you know, what are some some characteristics of those, I think, really of successful managers? And then, and so let me start there, and then I'll talk about how we think about um, our own operations. I think that the most successful ranchers that I have interacted with in my career, one is it's it, they start with the soil. It starts with the soil and, and root systems and grass, and that's the forage base. And they everything they do has a has a rangeland or pasture or stewardship component to it. And so that's that's one. They're generally numbers junkies, really digging into the financial aspects of the operations. I think that, and this is a tricky one, but they understand the power of hybrid vigor and crossbreeding. And that doesn't mean that the best production system for any given ranch is a is a is a crossbred system, but crossbreeding gives. I mean, and and hybrid vigor is a really powerful tool. And capturing that, um, you know, there's plenty of data that that supports how that can change productivity, primarily through reproductive performance, but through other performance matters as well. And so, you know, I think most of the of the really exceptional managers that I've interacted with have have understood that and implemented that at, on larger scale operations. I think they're very flexible, adaptable, so willing to make change. And generally, they're pretty introspective, trying to to figure out how they become better. And so you know, these continuous learners. And so it's, those are some of the some of the characteristics I think have stuck out to me a lot over the years, Aaron. 
And then when with the second part of the question with, you know, where should people look in, in their operations? I think the first thing is for people to give themselves the license to look at things differently. You know, we look at production systems and and if we think of these ranches that have stayed in the family for decades or centuries, well, the prior family members and the production systems they built were right if the ranches have stayed in the family. And so we have to recognize that, but also at the same time think, okay, well, they adapted some over the last century or, or decades. Managers should give themselves the license to look at creative ways of doing things differently in the future. Is there a way to build your production system so it's it's more resilient to market shifts, to, to drought, whatever it may be? I think that uh, that is really important to the success in the future because the production system that was successful in the past, although it may have been right, may not be the best system for you moving forward. Well, I think that's really insightful. I appreciate that. I think uh, we oftentimes we we are tradition based as we think about ranching and we value that. And I think it's important. We don't want to forget about the heritage we have. And I know that's a big part of what the King Ranch Institute uh, communicates. But at the same time, uh, there is a different world than it was 15, 20, 30, 50 years ago. And so thinking about how do we operate under the set of circumstances and opportunities we have now how do we do that successfully? Uh, that does require being willing to ask some hard questions and and maybe examine some production models or thought processes that haven't been examined. Yeah, well, I think I think that's exactly right. And and Aaron, I think if we look forward and see what has happened technologically and information wise in just the last few years, you know, I heard a statistic that said that. This was just this last week, I statistics, and it was talking about the knowledge growth in the medical world. And pre-COVID, um, it, it, about every five years, our medical knowledge grew. At today, that's about every 78 days. Now, that doesn't mean that well, everything else can be solved that much more quicker, but there, with this artificial intelligence and technology advancement at such a rapid pace, there's no reason in the world it shouldn't continue to grow at an even more rapid pace. There's going to be innovations that occur like we've never seen before in this industry. And so holding on to that heritage, yet allowing ourselves to, to embrace some of these newer technologies is probably going to be part of a recipe for success, um, I think, in the decades ahead. Yeah, I want to poke at that a little bit because I think, I would say all uh, ranch managers this way, but I think there is some skepticism that comes with technology. And uh, I, I would say I'm one of those. I think we we understand biological systems. We understand that we're dealing with complexity. And uh, even though we may make a plan, uh, something like a drought, a blizzard, weather events can trump those really quickly. So as we think about technology, adaptation of that, utilization of that, what's the framework at the King Ranch Institute as you visit with students and you talk about that? How do you think through a process for evaluating and embracing technology at a ranch level. Yeah, well, I'll back up and say, you know, I'm a skeptic too on a lot of these things because we've seen things come and go, the next great idea. I, I think we still have to continue to evaluate them. And so at, at the King Ranch Institute, when when we looked at those aspects, we just tried to figure out, okay, so what makes sense today that could be implemented? And, and we usually looked at it through the lens of, is that going to be a cost-effective change? And if it was a big change, 
you know, we, we would we would go through and, and calculate a net present value on that decision. So we knew what what uh, the decision, or at least tried to estimate what any decision to change would be as we looked at future cash flows. And so that is one of the lenses by which we uh, we evaluated new opportunities of any kind, technology or just uh, um, other changes. And so that's a uh, I would say that's one way we looked at it, but. Well, that probably answers the question as well as, as I could. The, these different technologies that we think of, what is cutting edge right now, you know, we're still adapting technologies that were available 10, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, think about drones and the what we have with, with drones right now or even satellite imagery on rangelands, technology that can be utilized so we can, in real time in the office, evaluate our our extensive watering systems. We can evaluate the cost of implementing a program like a, a water monitoring system. And so I'm thinking about storage tanks, pipelines, drinkers, those types of things. We can evaluate the cost of that relative to the labor and man hours it takes to just check those waters. And so philosophically, it's about looking at what are we going to get out of the technology? What's it cost us to implement it? And is it a cost-effective decision? But I think still we tried to ingrain in those students an opportunistic view of those things and not just closing the door on it because we don't see how it could be impactful right now today. You know, one of the things I think I've heard from you just as through our conversation is for folks who are effective, they're going to have to be, I think, curious, willing to engage uh, opportunity, think those through. Again, not everyone has application, but being willing to say what's out there, what can we do different? How can we utilize some of these available technology or knowledge to help us again, I'm going to go back to what we first started talking about, help us reach our goals, help us achieve uh, if we're working for someone else, what their goals are, or if we have those goals ourselves as the ranch owner to to move us the direction we want to go. Yeah, I think that's that's a great summary of what I've tried to express. So thanks for recapping that. Dr. Mathis, as we point towards wrapping up, any other take-homes from your time there, things that you think would be valuable for folks who are in a managerial role, owners of ranches? Yeah, I'll, I'll come back to ne- never, again, never lose sight of what are the goals of ownership if you work for them, because that's what the job of a manager is to achieve. And I'll also go back and make a, a statement about the King Ranch Institute for Ranch Management. Although I don't work there now, I spent 13 great years there and got to watch the development of some of the best managers in this country. And the reason that they were successful is is a is a few things put together. One, really high work ethic. They had a lot of intellect, and so they're highly capable, but they were willing and eager to learn. And so when you put those things together, those are really important characteristics. Yeah, I guess I'd leave with that as a, as a final statement um, and uh, just appreciation for all those great managers that went through that program during the time I was there. Dr. Mathis, thanks for your time today. Appreciate your perspective and just uh, lessons learned, things observed during your time at the King Ranch. Thank you. Well, for more information on Dr. Mathis at Texas A&M University, you can find his contact information as well as more about the Texas A&M Animal Science Department, the extension system there. And again, he's at Texas A&M University.